Project Sapient is a podcast meant to engage our brothers and sisters in the law enforcement and military communities in conversations that we all know we need to have. All opinions you'll hear are our own, are protected by our First Amendment of the United States Constitution, and in no way reflect or are meant to reflect the opinion of any specific agency, officer, or service member. Some opinions may be controversial. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. Ladies and gents, it's Pete from Project Sapient. Iman's not sitting here across from me, feeling a little lonely. But you know what? Iman did have the distinct honor and pleasure of going on the American Warrior Radio broadcast. We're listened to by thousands of uh, stations across the country. It's a total honor that they had Iman on there. They, they're telling the stories of the men and women who protect us at home and abroad. Check out their uh, website, AmericanWarriorRadio.com. We want to say thanks to our tens of thousands of supporters, of listeners, and our awesome supporters, the Till Valhalla Project, DCD Automotive, AAA Police Supply, Havoc Journal, our partners at the Profiles and Havoc Podcast, Second Mission, Live Boston 617, OD Kit, Eagle Eye Firearms, Gun Track, Fit Cops, 22 Mohawks, and Joint Operations. We love you guys. Seriously, you've made us into something that we never thought this would ever be. Getting Iman on national radio shows. I mean, it's pretty cool. So I'm going to cut out of this and I'm going to put you right into the cut from American Warrior Radio. It was pretty interesting to listen to. I listened to the uh, to the cuts. You got their host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. Iman and him go back and forth about a ton of different stuff with the military and policing and all that. So have a listen. few of us know them. They took an oath to protect us at home and abroad, so the rest of us can live safe and free. They are the men and women of our military and first responder communities, and these are their stories. American Warrior Radio is on the air. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to American Warrior Radio. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. Joe Galloway, in his book, We Were Soldiers, wrote, we who have seen war will never stop seeing it. That quote came to mind when I was first introduced to today's guest. Reviewing his bio, one could say that he was fated to become a witness to war on his first day on Earth. Ayman Kefel was born in Liberia, where his father was working at the time. Not long thereafter, the Liberian Civil War forced his family to flee back to their native Lebanon. Then the Lebanese Civil War forced his family to uproot once again, this time coming to the United States. This taught Ayman a lesson much earlier than most of us had to learn, that there is evil in the world. When our nation was attacked on 9-11, Ayman knew it was his turn to confront evil and enlisted in the U.S. Army. He had combat deployments during Operation Iraqi Freedom, but his Army career was cut short by a forced medical retirement. But that did not end his commitment to protecting his fellow citizens from the wolves. He became a police officer and has served 15 years with the Attleboro, Massachusetts Police Department. He currently commands his department's problem-oriented policing unit. We're going to find out more about that a little bit later. He's a regular contributing author to the Havoc Journal and is finding great success with a relatively new podcast called The Sapient Project. Uh, Iman, welcome to American Warrior Radio. Hey, I, how are you, Ben? How are you doing? I'm, I'm terrific. Um, our, our nice East German used equipment here seems to be working just fine. 
Um, now, I mean, I spent some time, uh, my early formative years as well, in countries other than the U.S. It, it sometimes got a little sporty. I know once a couple of shotgun-toting dudes uh, went out on a remote village road and, and were sent to assassinate my father. Luckily, that didn't come to pass. I was trying to think of living U.S. citizens, though, born and raised stateside, who have ever had to confront the reality of war in their own backyard like you did. And, you know, maybe there's still some World War II vintage folks laying around that remember the Japanese fire balloon attacks on the West Coast. Uh, I would include the Japanese families who were interred in the, uh, internment camps during that era as well. But then we have to go all the way to 9-11 before we Americans can get a sense of what you endured in your early years. Yeah, but very, uh, very true. Uh, I actually kind of wonder that myself at times, uh, especially my current uh, profession in, in law enforcement, and and sometimes the, uh, the the minor societal issues that go on stateside here versus what I've seen uh, overseas kind of plays a huge factor in in a lot of you know my decision making and, and and what the way I view the world. Now, you've you've recounted memories of artillery strikes interrupting your playtime, and I mean, wow! Oh yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was in Lebanon, actually. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, it was, I was on a hill uh, with my uh, my. Uh, if you remember those little cars that had the pedals, you know, to get you mm-hmm. going, and and uh, I was going up a hill and I wanted to go down really fast, but that got cut short by artillery shells hitting the side of the mountain uh, near my in the, uh, near my village. And uh, I remember I just ditched everything and ran home. What? How old were you at that time? Oh my! Oh, I must have been uh, five or six. Okay, definitely yeah, old maybe, enough. Maybe, maybe even younger, uh, because I, I only came to the United States when I was in the first, second grade. Actually, is when I when we first landed in the in the U.S. Um, uh, with nothing with us really <laughs> when we uh, escaped civil war. Well, your your family escaped those situations to seek a better life in the United States. Do you feel, I mean, that that impacted or, or really has influenced your deep love for for this country? I mean, you were your family was treated relatively well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know, coming from uh, the you know different parts of the world uh, between Africa, uh, you know, namely Liberia when I was living there, and then Lebanon, and, and coming here and. Over here, uh, my deep love for freedom and what this country stands for uh, is, is very deep. And, and what's, what's interesting to me is being in the military and being amongst other uh, immigrants uh, who are in the U.S. military, who, who uh, you know, be, became citizens, joined the military and all that. It, it's like this deep love for this country that, that it, I find that not that many American civilians share. Uh, I don't know if that would surprise people, but but it, it's a different type of, of love for this country. No, it doesn't surprise me a bit. I know when I was growing up, I mean, the U.S. was always the land of milk and honey. And yeah. looking back, you know, those of us who have been to other places around the globe, we do recognize what what uh, what a precious gift that we've been granted, and how good we actually have it as much as as much as we like to gripe. You know, I, I mean, it's interesting. I had Matthew Marsden on the show. Gosh, probably about a year and a half ago. I don't know if you recognize that name. He's a very accomplished actor, but he's British. Yes. And yes. Uh, in the interview, he's he's literally standing in the parking lot of a Cracker Barrel somewhere in Texas, and he's telling me, he says, Ben, this is, you know, the United States, it is the last. It is the greatest bastion of freedom on the planet. And to hear someone tell you that with a British accent uh, <laughs> tends to be a pretty... Uh, 
pretty brisk bit of water yeah. in the face. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, while during my time in in Iraq, uh, when when I was uh, when I was deployed there, um, I, I you know I had a lot of talking to with the Iraqi public and and it, it, and even the military and the Iraqi police and you know I would I would tell them all the time like look at just my squad alone uh, and we were all mixed race yet we all saw each other as as one which is the American soldier you know. It didn't. It didn't factor into any of our decisions uh, on on each other. You know, all we saw us as one. You know, as the military term says, you know, we're all wearing green. That's all we care. Our, we bleed green. Our skin color is green. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's something that really uh, drove home to me uh, what the military was really all about. Especially going to basic, and and it's funny uh, while I was at basic at Fort Sill uh, before we went uh, across the tracks, as they call it. Um, we all got together to say prayers in our individual languages, which was something fascinating to me at the time because I never thought I would see that. That is very cool. Yeah, where very mixed religions were saying a prayer in their own languages, yet we were all U.S. soldiers, you know, getting ready to go to basic and, and to deal with the challenges of basic, but we still saw each other as just one people, as in Americans. But let's back up a little bit. Given the context of what we were talking about, uh, you know, the, yep. the gratitude and the uh, the deep feelings that you had after coming to the United States, tell us about your mindset then when the 9-11 attacks happened. Uh, I, I mean, uh, to me, 9-11, I, I mean, uh, you know, all of us have our own 9-11 stories of where we were at the time. And, and me, I was just, you know, that, that happy-go-lucky college kid, you know, going – going up the stairs to my college, and then I see everybody running out. I had no idea what was going on, and people are yelling to me, hey, you know, we need to get out of here. country's under attack. And in my mind, I was like, holy cow, okay. And, you know, I get to my car to turn the radio on, and sure enough, yeah, I, I hear on the radio, and I race home. And, and to us, uh, I remember my family, to us, to us, it was like the war came home, you know, to our home now. Mm-hmm. And those bad entities, in the Middle East that we escaped made their way here now. So that's when I kind of something clicked in me, like probably most of us uh, who, who ended up enlisting, uh, something clicked in me like, no, I need to get over there. And I need to, because I felt it was also my responsibility as a guy from the Middle East, uh, you know, whose family's from the Middle East. It's also my responsibility to go over there and to root out that evil that's there. Did you feel a little bit of an extra burden maybe because of that? Oh, absolutely. Um, one thing I was worried about, uh, which, again, that quickly got dispelled when I when I joined the military, is how I was going to be perceived in the military as being a guy from the Middle East joining the American, you know, the U.S. military and going to fight over there. I, I was worried, again, because with the amount of misinformation out there, and social media wasn't as big back then as it is now, but even back then, it was all the media hype and everything that, you know, oh, we need to put, you know, anyone looks like Middle Easterners, we need to lock them away. You know, you, you hear all those things. So I didn't know how I was going to really be received, but it completely uh, changed what I thought when I hit Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and I was amongst brothers. And that's it. That's all I was. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was very different. So, so to me, that extra burden I did have, but it was also shared with the rest of my soldiers. Ladies and gentlemen, Aman might have maybe considered a, a career in the military. We'll find out more about that when we come back, but that was not to be. 
he was discharged with a medical discharge but found a second mission and we come back we'll talk more about that now if you're a member of the military or first responder community like i'm on his boat you know the tradition of challenge coins if you're looking for a new coin or need to replenish your stock please consider my friends at boss custom coins bosscoins.com they did our american warrior radio coins and we always get great feedback when they're presented here's an idea for our civilian listeners if you have a loved one who wears the uniform, why not consider funding a custom coin design for them as a gift? I'll sweeten the deal. Send me a message to BBG at AmericanWarriorRadio.com. I'll arrange for a special discount. Boss Custom Coins are some of the highest quality coins out there. You can explore design options and pricing at BossCoins.com. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're speaking with Iman Cafel. Um, I'm doing that with a Spanish accent. I'm on what you say your name for me. It's Iman. Iman. Okay. Yes. I'll probably get that right about 15 minutes after the show's done. But <laughs> regardless, we're, we're very pleased to have you here. Now, you, as I understand it, were medically discharged from the Army. Would you, At that point, had you considered making it a career? Oh, uh, yes, I, I, I was. Um, when, when we got home, uh, I was actually getting ready to, to mo- uh, mobilize again uh, with another unit um, because at the time the field artillery unit I was in was uh, disbanded. I actually went into, like, the history books because that, that unit has been in every single war since the Revolutionary War. So it's the old, it was uh, the oldest artillery unit in the country. Uh, so it ended up getting disbanded, and I, uh, I got essentially transferred to an MP unit and that unit was getting ready to go into Iraq, and I was getting spun up to go. And uh, my my whole plan was actually to go into special forces as as uh, you know to to go that route and make it a career. Okay, so the um, you you found yourself then looking for a second mission, and that yeah. led you to where you are now. Yeah, very, uh, very. Yep, uh, exactly. That that's the thing. I uh, after I got medically discharged, uh, you know, I ran into the, the the identity issues of, well, you know, here I was kind of laying it all out and and being uh, deployed and and also uh, being that protector slash warrior uh, type in 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 the American uh, society in America and in, in my homeland. And uh, decided that uh, law enforcement would be my next step to go to. Now, let's see. I'm, I'm going through your bio. Uh, you've had eight duties in 15 years. Patrol officer, plainclothes officer, detective, fire investigator, metro SWAT operator, DEA task force officer, DEA special response team, assistant team leader. You get bored easily, don't you? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just, uh, I'm, yeah, I, I do get bored, so I, I keep uh, moving along, and and it's just, uh, I, I think it's just the way I, I've been, I've become, and the way I am is just that determined type of uh, individual who just wants to continue to push myself. Now, tell me, I found the problem-oriented policing unit, and let me use this description off of your bio employs unconventional methods and special forces philosophy in achieving specific objectives in the community. These unconventional methods range from winning hearts and minds to specific strategic law enforcement actions to arrest and prosecute those who are the root cause of various crimes. That sounds like something out of a TV series. (laughs) That's that's actually on on Profiles in in Havoc. Uh, I was recently on their podcast, and and he uh, he keeps uh, uh, Chris, for Paul Meyer keeps referring to me as the character from The Shield, 
because every time he hears that, that's all he pictures. <laughs> well, now I tell you, you don't know this, but I actually graduated from college with a criminal justice degree, but never yeah. took the next step because I, I decided that giving me a gun and a badge would be bad for me and the community. But so I'm a little extra sensitive to this, and I actually find that the existence of a unit like yours, regardless if it sounds like a TV show or not, very compelling. And are, is let me ask you, is this unique to your community? And I just don't know about it. So it's it's a it's a policing philosophy that uh, that is a little bit unique because it's it, it's uh it's it's like that mix of community police uh, community service policing or uh, community policing and uh more of a strategic end to it where my job is to answer the why so if there's the, for example if there's this uh house that has so many issues and you know we keep repeatedly going there as police and all that I, what, what my unit does we dive into the root cause as to why uh, versus, you know, patrol division, they have to repeatedly go there over and over again. My job is to find out why do we keep going over there and then to solve that problem, essentially, through various methods, whether law enforcement action or even uh, social uh, social work or uh, uh, and, and using uh, the, the community as a whole to my advantage uh, with whatever resources that is available to me. So it's not just kicking doors. Oh no no it's 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 like this wide range between kicking doors to getting food to the homeless. Hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very very wide range that this unit has, and and uh, especially for example like those who overdose because of the opioid uh, epidemic that's been happening in this country for several years. Um, one thing that we do not do in this unit is continuously arrest uh, addicts because addicts aren't aren't really the root cause of it. It's more on the drug dealer end and, and, and all that. So what I what we tend to do with addicts is try to get them to try to get them help, you know, get them going on a better uh, lifestyle. And that has its own rewards alone. Uh, when you see somebody who was down, you know, uh, down so badly with with their addiction, and then to overcome it and move on to be uh, a productive member of society and have jobs and and you know uh, one of our last addicts actually r- uh, runs a whole construction company now and it's amazing to hear these stories and know that we've had a type of influence on somebody and that's that whole aspect between winning the hearts and minds of people uh, essentially because that that's that's where uh, the success has come from. So given your exceptional ninja investigative skills, I'm sure you looked into us before you came on the show. So you know that really our mission is to bridge that gap of understanding. And I cannot, at least in my adult life, uh, I mean, think of a time when that gap has been larger between the average community member and the men and women of our law enforcement. Now, you, in one of your Havoc Journal articles, you wrote, uh, within what is normally a peaceful world for most of us, there is a secret world, a world that is dangerous, volatile, and violent. Yeah. People may not want to hear that, but that's the truth of what you and your comrades deal with every day. Yes, that that, that is very true, and and I call it you know the shadow world or the real world, and and it's you know when when I was doing um, uh, work with the task force and my various investigations as a detective and stuff, and and you know when we do conduct surveillance operations and even uh, uh, you know high high profile uh, warrants, it's it's just it, it's it's amazing to me that that. If people knew the frequency of these things that was happening around them day in and day out, it's, it, it, it would cause them to have a little bit of that either fear or, or thanks that their 
there are people out there willing to lay it on the line to protect what we have. Well, and I would propose to you, sir, that right now is the time when the general public could use a little bit more of that. I know at least in my local community, I don't know, maybe 90% of the stuff, and I'm talking serious stuff, you know, not jaywalkers, but 90% of the stuff that happens never makes the news. And oh, I, I, I agree, and, and that's the thing. Uh, it, you know, uh, everyone, you know, for some reason the public loves to hear about, you know, click it or ticket or, or you know, the speeder mm-hmm. or stuff like that. Like my unit, that's not what we look for at all. Uh, you know, every, every unit has its own specific function, like traffic units and, and you know, various other units that have their role in, in, in the community. But to dive into root causes and really look into the uh, what what causes a community to go downwards or upwards or, or whatever, I think that's where the real work is at. And much of this, people would be shocked to hear, is happening in broad daylight. I and mean, we're not talking midnight to six. Oh no, yeah, this is I've I've done the entire surveillance operations in everyday malls, you know, uh, large malls, shopping plazas. Uh, you're talking, you know, these these individuals that uh, these really bad people have no regard to human life whatsoever, and they will end up shooting in broad daylight if they have to. Um, and and you know that's that's essentially you know the other side of what I do. That's essentially the the, the real work that goes on day in and day out that people never will never ever know about. I mean, I think that the average. I shouldn't say that. I'm not going to make cast a broad net here, but I suspect some civilians blanch at the idea of military philosophies and tactics being employed on their streets. But the reality is that bad guys have gotten better informed, better armed, and more violent, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we have this huge, uh, now what's prevalent to us is these ghost guns in in law Mm -hmm. enforcement. I don't know if you've heard of these things where basically, uh, you know, right out of 3D printers, they make these guns and they, I mean, you know, we've had investigations where we've uh, arrested an individual who's already sold over 100 ghost guns that are out there in the community and we don't know where they are or where they went, but that's that's the reality of of what, what is now uh, happening with the advancement of technology, bad people will take advantage of it. And I don't think the public really understands that until they have to live with it, until it's in their neighborhood. Then they see it. And that, yeah, it's too late. Well, not, it's yeah, a bad time exactly. to learn that. Yeah. Exactly. By then, it's too late. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with Ayman Kafel. Visit projectsapient.org. He's got some very interesting insights. And uh, Ayman, when we come back, I want to talk about something you proposed in a couple of your articles. And that's the idea of sheepdogs versus hybrid wolves. Stick around. We'll be right back, folks. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're talking with Ayman Kafel. He served both in the military, and now he serves our communities and law enforcement. If you really want to hear a unabashed and unfiltered, unvarnished conversation about what the men and women of our military are going through. Now visit projectsapient.org, S-A-P-I-E-N-T.org. Eamon, I've seen your photos, so I want to be very careful here. And plus, given your federal contacts, you might have me deported. But I just want to double-check something. So the so-called, and I use the air quotes, ghost guns, they themselves are legal weapons. Right. I mean, I can buy parts somewhere and put a gun together in my garage and that's legal. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, yeah. There's it's 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 uh, it's 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 illegal when obviously when you're using the commission of a crime. And the only reason why it, it is such an issue is the lack of tracking of them. Okay. You know, there's no serial numbers, nothing like that. So for us law-abiding citizens who own guns, buy guns, play with guns, all that stuff. Those are not the people that we worry about in the law enforcement world. Right. It's 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 the ones who use them for nefarious uh, reasons. Right, and I just, I just want to clarify that the bad guys, no matter how they got the gun, well, I mean, I suppose there'd be extra charges if they stole the gun, but uh, it's yeah, yeah. not the gun's fault; it's the bad guy's fault. Exactly. No, no, that, that that's why you know they, they have this term in 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 law enforcement, the ghost gun, because it, technically they're they're not serialized and. You can buy gun parts from anywhere and put a gun together. And like I said, the, the minute you start using it for for illegal activity, well, now now that's when you have the crime. Okay, got it. So, to me, a couple, I think it was one or two of your more fascinating articles that really hooked me. And I don't know if it was on the Havoc Journal if I saw it somewhere else. But you talk, and so often in common verbiage, we talk about law enforcement officers and uh, as sheepdogs. The sheepdogs protecting the flock from the wolves out there. But you coined a new phrase that I'd never heard of before, and that's hybrid wolves. Expand upon that concept for our listeners, if you would. Sure. Uh, so with sheepdogs, uh, that kind of became the big thing, especially after uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman kind of uh, used that uh, that phrase or that term uh, in his book on killing and on combat and various other uh, texts that I've seen and, and even in the, in the law military world uh, sheepdog was thrown around a lot and and i had to kind of take a step back uh, a while ago when i wrote it actually for Havoc journal I, I i realized that there are certain members of our warrior class that are not sheepdog now sheepdog is the type yes it, it's the, the the sheepdog is the protector of the flock and all that st- all that great stuff but the 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 term i use the hybrid wolf is the the truest practitioner of the warrior mindset of the law enforcement of uh, of of being a soldier, marine, whatever that might be, that because they hone in their skills to the point where it's razor sharp, and they're not just waiting for the fire, so to speak, they are looking for it. You know, they're out there hunting for it. There are very few of those within the ranks. Uh, come, you know, in, in the in the warrior class, uh, so to speak. And there's a, this very famous quote. Um, uh, I, I forget exactly who said it, but it's uh, one of the, the ancient Greeks who said, you know, for every hundred warriors, uh, 80 are, uh, are just targets. Uh, 10, uh, actually nine are the, uh, sorry, 10 are the true warriors and we are happy to have them. And the one who is the true warrior will bring the, uh, bring all of them home. And that one is that, that, that hybrid wolf. He's, he or she is that individual that has basically holds the most burdens uh from any organization because they feel so passionate about it and they're always out there working hunting so to speak looking for evil to root it out yeah that that brings up we're not a political talk show but that brings up something that just makes me grip my teeth and, and particularly given my close association with law enforcement families and and my educational background, I just saw an article recently where some jurisdiction somewhere, probably California, (laughs) would be my guess, but now they're requiring the law enforcement officers to justify in writing whenever they make a gut instinct stop. And that 
is that's, just yeah, the yeah. dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. I mean, talk a little bit of given your because when you talk about these hybrid uh, wolves, part of it is the it's the gut instinct. It's the the ability to sense and sniff something out before it happens. And yes. and that's what I think we used to call proactive policing, and it solved a lot of crimes. Well, that, that that's the thing. Proactive policing is is that it's 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 the solving of crimes, it's the prevention of crimes, right? When we, when I see when I'm out in the public and I'm doing my job and I'm actually working and I observe certain characteristics that tell me, oh, there's this is a drug dealer or this guy's carrying a gun or this this gal is doing what you know they're not supposed to be doing, and I act on those instincts, on those on those uh, uh, on that gut instinct. And that gut instinct basically uh, uh, drives me towards it. How can you know? To me, how can you explain that in a, in in writing? It's it's nearly impossible because you're talking about uh, an external, uh, an internal uh, compass of yours that directs you essentially to where bad people are. And that's something that's it's, it's very hard to describe where I even have a hard time describing it in police reports when I'm writing an affidavit or, or I'm putting together an arrest report. It's very hard to try to articulate how you got to where you got. You know, I, my, my wife is an extremely talented animal behaviorist, and she keeps reminding me, hey, you know, Ben, guess what? We're animals, too. And and the importance of listening to your instincts and your gut. Now that's been kind of drilled out of a lot of us. For for someone like you that's on the front lines day in and day out, frankly, it's just a matter of experience. Uh, that's a hundred percent true. And and to me, that instinct of mine really turned on when I was at war. I always say that the lion inside me kind of woke up when when I went to war because it it was this need to survive, you know, this primal instinct that all of a sudden came to the forefront of my brain, literally, and honed in those survival skills. And and that's the thing, that that's, that's the biggest thing with us is the hybrid wolf, police officer, soldier, Marine, we embrace those instincts, right? We, we embrace the heightened awareness, the heightened uh, arousal, uh, so to speak, of our listening skills, our smells, uh, everything. I mean, you know, there, there's there's points where I've done searches and houses looking for a, for a, a bad guy, and he was hiding in a crawl space. And the only reason why, for for example, this actually happened uh, a little while ago. Um, you know, this this bad guy was hiding in the bathroom in a crawl space, and something led me to that bathroom. Something led me to the linen closet. Something led me to where he was hiding. And that's that instinct. You know that that we have as hybrid wolves that we embrace, where my gut and all my senses are telling me, all right, go this way, go into this bathroom, check the linen closet, and look at, oh, you got a crawl space there, and sure enough, that's where that bad guy was hiding. So we embrace those things versus suppress them, which a majority of society does. So if I had you on my team, I wouldn't even need them to send the canine. <laughs> I, w- I will I will take the canine because it's much easier with the canine. <laughs> and if he, in fairness, he's got sharper teeth. But uh, oh. I, I mean, I, I got to tell you, this is the point at the show that I read so often where I'm wishing I had another hour. But there's a couple of things I want to cover also when we come back from the break, and, and I want to focus on Project, Project Sapient and what you're doing there. But before we wrap this up about the hybrid, the so would you propose that these type of people are are born this way? 
and somewhere in their life they choose to follow the path of light or the path of darkness? Uh, yeah, 100%. It's, it's every decision from the day they are born to the day where wherever they are, uh, every decision that they make, that's where they end up, either to the light or to the dark. And is there – can they be rescued after a certain point? This is not a political that, show. It's not a theology show either. Yeah, yeah, just, no. Uh, at a certain point, yes, but but when it becomes too late, uh, you you can never uh, really get them back to where to the light, so to speak. Uh, because once a hybrid wolf uh, gets a taste for whatever uh, they're it's it's that's it. They're they're stuck in it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're speaking with Iman Kafel. Visit ProjectSapien.org. You can also find some fascinating writing uh, under his name at TheHavocJournal.com. When we come back, we'll talk about Project Sapient, which was founded to engage brothers and sisters in law enforcement and military communities in conversations that need to be had and exemplify the positive and unpack the controversy plaguing the profession in our society. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Buehler-Garcia. We're speaking with Ayman Kafel. He's a former Army veteran and now 15 years into a law enforcement career. And, uh, Ayman, before we get into Project Sapient, there's something just on the break I was thinking about our, our conversation. And in my day job, Thursday, Friday, this previous week, I'm on the Zoom conference, and we've got a task force for something. And the first 30 minutes of the of the conference was all about our feelings and you know where we draw our experiences from and all this stuff and i'm not it was very very frou-frou and but it wasn't really pertinent in the context of the problem we were there to solve and that's 30 minutes i'll never get back and i bailed by the hour so i guess it wasn't so bad but (laughs) in the case of your profession life experiences values how they might affect your reaction in a situation does make a difference Right. Oh yeah, no, yeah, one hundred percent true. So, to tell one of the other things, tell us the example of the female victim you had who was of Middle Eastern descent. I think that's a, a, just such a great story. Um, yeah. So, uh, so we had a, a female of Middle Eastern descent who only spoke Arabic, and um, I went to. Uh, so I get a phone call on on my off days. And uh, from one of my uh, friends uh, at work, uh, and he was telling me this whole story about this female uh, victim who was uh, from the Middle East, from Egypt. And she only speaks Arabic, and it was tough for him to understand exactly what her needs were. So, I, you know, he put her on the phone, and I spoke to her for about 15 or 20 minutes. And it turned out it, it wasn't anything really serious that needed attention right away. So I was comfortable by saying, all right, well, I'm in tomorrow. I can talk to you tomorrow, and we can go into it a little bit more. Because I, with, with the Middle Eastern culture, talking face-to-face is better because I get to see expressions, hands, gestures, stuff like that. It just we're, we're more face-to-face type, you know, conversation. So uh, the next day I went over there, and she had her brother on on the, uh, uh, on the FaceTime, and he was in Dubai. And uh, while talking to the victim and, and brother, um, it, w- it was more of a mental health thing, so it wasn't really uh, anything serious. But I think uh, her being new in this country, she, she knew, uh, did not know who to turn to but to call the police. So I ended up uh, assisting her in getting resources over to her and her brother uh, you know uh, very nice of him to say he said you know he was so happy to know that 
there's a police officer who speaks Arabic and understands the culture and can help guide them uh, while they they are in the country. And that the reason I want to mention that is that I'm thinking about your, you know, for me for such a long time, our military was the most colorblind, and I hate the word equity, but you know the best melting pot on the planet and in in our society. And I, I've, your story reminds me of that as well, and, and maybe our law enforcement community, and what a strength that is. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's one thing people do not, uh, whether they want to re- realize it or not. But even in our law enforcement, you have a mishmash of experiences and and people who lived all sorts of different lifestyles. I mean, one of one of my closest friends used to live, you know, was, lived in the projects of uh, of one of a really bad city out here in Massachusetts, and he he always tells me he remembers he had to lay down on the ground because of you know drive by shootings and and those experiences humanize us. To to be that you know the to be that compa- that compassion to come out uh, for our victims you know to, to 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 have that understanding to say yeah I've been there and that I understand and and my role now you know I decided to do something about it and to get back to the community and would would you consider Project Sapient that part of that giving back to the community. Yes, uh, I mean Project Sapien was created uh, by you know one of the reasons why I created Project Sapien was to bridge that gap between the you know civilians and the warrior class or the civilians and law enforcement and, and military is to bridge that gap to really give people a kind of first person perspective of what goes on inside the mind of a law enforcement officer inside the mind of a combat soldier. And this, you, you founded this in, in 2020, if I'm not mistaken, and boy, it's really taken off. Congratulations. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I had no idea that I would get this type of audience uh, through Project Sapiens. I, I did not know that. Again, it, 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 uh, I, I took a huge risk, so to speak, because, one, I'm still active law enforcement, and I'm still doing the job and, and being out there. So I didn't know how it was going to really take, but it turned out it was it was a great decision to to go and and the positive feedback I've been getting has been overwhelming. Now I would guess talking to so many of your comrades in both military and law enforcement, you've heard some pretty knuckleheaded stories, uh, mostly dealing with policy. I'll, I'll I'll leave that at at that. But one of the <laughs> yeah. things that that you and I both feel, and you know, in the pre-interview I, I shared some an experience I had recently, and and the importance of of continual training. And I was surprised, uh, frankly shocked that, I mean, you talk about a, a discipline where you want people to always be on their game. I mean, just I want my heart surgeon, my dentist, uh, my radiologist, you know, my CPA to know what the heck they're doing. And sometimes yeah. situations change. But you, you've you expressed that sometimes our law enforcement officers have to pay out of their pocket to get this training. Uh, yeah, well, to get really good training. A lot of times our law enforcement officers are forced to have to pay out of pocket to get, you know, some, some really good training in. And, and I think even even we spoke before, uh, I don't think people realize how often we qualify in, at the range uh, unless you're part, a part of a specialty unit like, like I am where we're always training. But uh, the typical patrol officer may be, uh, if they're lucky, they get to qualify twice a year, if they're lucky. And that's just 100 rounds total for the year. And, you know, here you go. You, you passed, and, and 
get back out on the streets. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go through a hundred rounds in about half an hour tomorrow. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of, you know, I'm not making light of that, but especially in today's environment in our communities and across the country, I would think this is we want these men and women who, who wear the badge to be the best trained possible. I mean, that that just seems to me like a, a no debate investment. Oh no! Exactly, and and it kind of it, it it surprises me, or it shouldn't. It doesn't really surprise me anymore that it's it's so overlooked um, that we should be uh, as well trained as your doctors, your heart surgeons, your your these high end professions where literally somebody's life is you know on the operating table. I mean, I would want my cardiologist to be the best in the world because um my life is in now his or her hands. Uh, same with uh, be, being a police officer. When I'm responding to an active shooter or, or some major disaster, you'd hope that the first cop that shows up knows what the heck they're doing. You know, I mean, I'm going to have to have you back on because we didn't get to the suicide and depression and PTSD, and that's something I don't want to neglect. But folks can visit uh, your website, uh, projectsapient.org, to learn more about that. And, of course, there's a lot of great av- articles at Havoc Journal as well. What for you, what would be Iman's mission accomplished moment with this project? Uh, the, the the mission accomplished or the continuing of the mission is to, con- to bring to light the, the 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 hardships in the law enforcement community, in the military community, especially with PTSD and traumatic brain injury, which is so prevalent in these professions. Um, and nine times out of ten, it's a band aid solution that that policy together where it's not enough. It, it, it's something that really needs to be looked at where a police officer suffering from PTSD doesn't get just for it. You know, gets get the help that is needed, that is required. And that's something that, that actually uh, I recently had an interview with uh, with uh, uh, an individual who wrote Hiram perfectly. Um, it, you know, we, we do routine maintenance on our vehicle all the time, oil change, you know, whatever whatever we need to do. Why don't we do that with our own minds? Yeah. You know, where we do root, these routine maintenance in our minds, for our minds. Stay. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you I'm gonna ask you to stand still because it sounds like now you're in the parking lot of a Cracker Barrel. So oh, don't stand still right there. We got well, we still got you. So, anyway, I, I just I want to encourage people to visit Project Sapient. Uh, dot org and I would propose to you, sir, that uh, when it comes to not just training but some of those mental health issues that uh, in effect your your podcast is doing a lot to help that um, it's free training maybe yeah yeah it's uh, you know we we try to put out as much or I try to put out as much information for free training and even uh, I put together uh, uh, for example like that to that events where it's talking to other veterans who are sort of work you know, proficient to help uh, guide uh, fellow veterans and law enforcement officers to uh, better uh, doctors for PTSD and various other issues. Well, we appreciate you spending some time with us today, sir, and uh, stay safe out there. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, over 300 podcasts like this can be found at AmericanWarriorRadio.com. We're on your favorite streaming platform. Um, I won't list them all. There's too many. Until next time, all policies and procedures are to stay in, to remain in place. Take care. Guys, it's Pete again. Doing a little bit of an outro for Iman. He had a great time doing this radio show, American Warrior Radio. Thank you so much to everybody listening to us, man. This has been an unbelievable journey. 
getting the word out there with law enforcement and the military and all the issues that we need to discuss. Man, we love you guys. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Stay sapiens.